Fog McFarland, thanks for joining us on this new series that we're starting, kind of a mini series, if we wanted to be trendy and call it that, I guess we could call it that. Um, thanks for joining us. We're talking about vocations, right? Yes. Glad to be here, Andrew. Thank you. Great. Uh, and just to introduce you, I mean, we've had you on for both the crisis series and just for the sacrament series that just wrapped up, Father. Um, but why are we having you talk about the vocation series? Uh, because somebody's got to do it. Uh, <laughs> but in, in all in all seriousness, um, I so I am the the vocations director for the U.S. District of the Society of Saint Pius the Tenth at this time. Okay. So this is. Uh, something of my, my field of expertise. Fair enough. And it's uh, obviously something that you're passionate about and something that you've been asked to do. Um, so vocations director, we've, again, we've talked about this on a couple of different podcasts over the last few years. Um, but you are Mm -hmm. one of the things, for instance, that you do is help to coordinate the vocations retreats that take place every summer, uh, one for men, one for women. And that just kind of helps people to discern their vocation a little bit, figure out, you know, is this the right path for me to take things like that? Right. Right. So we have again one uh, vocations retreat for men, one for women uh, every summer. I preach those uh, retreats, and then um, also we I'm the the point of contact for uh, people, particularly who uh, who don't really know any priests in the society, but are interested in pursuing um, the priesthood religious life with the society or with uh, our affiliated congregations. Uh, so if they have questions, they can get in touch with me. Also. Try to help out the, the priests when they have questions, if they haven't done it a lot, if they have um, you know, questions about the process, how we get an application, um, what what things are necessary to uh, to send in. Or, you know, this young man just showed up at my mission chapel. He says he's interested in the priesthood. Where do we go from here uh, to help them answer those questions? I also coordinate uh, the, the been doing with a lot of um Potential seminarians recently uh, are spending a year in a priory to get to know the society better for us to, to get to know them better. So I, uh, I take care of that, um, assigning them to, to priories, working with the priors to, to find places where they'll, they'll fit well and, and be able to contribute while being able to, to learn about our life uh, as priests in the society. That's great. Well, thank you so much for doing all of that. And thanks for agreeing to do this series. This is going to be a short, like I said, a shorter series, seven, eight, maybe 10 episodes Um, all about vocations, different types of vocations. So um, this is kind of our introductory episode. Where would you like to start, Father? Well, I think just to a preliminary note that that is a a source of a lot of of misunderstanding um, and really it's just the way we we tend to to speak. We say very often religious when we speaking broadly about about priests, brothers, monks, nuns, etc., um, but the priesthood and the religious life are in fact different things. So, you know, the priesthood is one who's received the, the, the order of priest, the sacrament of holy orders, and the religious life is, um, public profession of the three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, um, particularly in, in, in some, uh, religious institute. So one can be a priest and a religious at the same time. So if you're, say, a Benedictine monk and also a priest, then you're both a priest and a religious. Um, but one can also be a religious about being a priest. Any sister, nun, monk, brother who's who's not in holy orders or is in uh, in minor orders or the first major orders on the way to the priesthood 
Um, and one can be a priest, and that's kind of the important point, without being a religious. So that's diocesan priests are not religious, and uh, there are different communities in which the priests are not religious, including the Society of St. Pius X. So I'm, I'm not a religious, though I am a priest. So we in the society not take the three vows. Uh, every priest is, is bound to the uh, observance of perpetual and perfect chastity, and he is bound to obedience. Um, but he does not take the, the vow of poverty, although we are, of course, uh, supposed to live according to the spirit of poverty. Um, so people tend to think that religious is the, the genus and the, the species is priest or sister or brother, uh, and that's wrong. So for the opposite of, of priest or cleric is, is a lay person. Um, and for religious, the opposite is, is secular. Okay. So one can be a religious priest or a secular priest. I am a, a secular priest. Okay. And then the genus for all of those things taken together, if you want, would be um, states of consecrated life, which is uh, kind of an awkward expression. It's easier to say religious, but it's definitely less accurate. Um, and uh, there are distinctions in how these, these things work. You know, when we talk about vocation to the priesthood, vocation to the religious life, there are you know, theological distinctions that we need to make. We have talked about a little bit in, uh, in past podcasts, but uh, our general approach will be roughly the same in spite of those differences. Um, and we can the, the basic principles for the individual deciding for himself, am I going to pursue a state of consecrated life that will work the same, you know, it, on the level of principle in all cases. Um, and then we'll see the distinction when we talk about a vocation in the strict sense, which we'll cover when we talk specifically about vocation to the priesthood. Okay. A uh, quick follow-up. Uh, third order members, whether SSPX, Dominicans, Franciscans, uh, is that a, mm -hmm. are they still considered lay? Are they outside of that state of consecrated life or are they within that? So you have, you have different kinds of third orders. Oh, okay. You have third order regular and third order secular. So a third order regular, uh, would be like our friends, the um, Franciscan teaching sisters of Christ the King or the Dominican teaching sisters of Fanjo. They are third order regular. So they observe the rule of third order in one case of, of St. Francis, the other St. Dominic. Um, but they live regular according to rule, uh, wearing habits, living common life, living religious life. So they would be religious in, in the proper sense of that term. Uh, a third order secular is has made a profession in, uh, according to the third order rules of these, uh, various, uh, religious orders, but they continue to live in the world hence secular. Um, and so they would not be religious in the strict sense, although they do participate in the, the spirit, the graces of the, uh, of the particular religious family. Very interesting. Thank you. Um, all right. So we're going to be speaking about vocations in two or three of these upcoming, um, episodes, that's kind of the broad scope of this whole series is vocations. But um, why, why do a whole series on this? What is the point? What, what are you trying to fix or clarify or, or make more accessible to people who are watching this series, Father? Well, I think that, you know, vocations matters suffer from a lot of, of bad information, bad spiritual principles, bad theological principles, and just general bad advice most of which tends to, to, to complicate um, and, and make it into some, uh, some difficult thing to figure out when that's not the case at all. So the, the whole thing is kind of poorly understood. Uh, and you know, 
beginning with the, even that, that word vocation, you know, it's, it's an ambiguous term. You think of all the different ways that we use vocation. So you'll, you'll hear people say, um, you know, we need more vocations or, um, I don't know if I have a vocation or, you know, so-and-so left the seminary because he didn't have a vocation or there's a vocation to marriage or there's a vocation or there's not a vocation to the single life. And all of those are, you know, different senses. And then you throw in what the, the secular world thinks you have vocational schools to teach jobs. And, and so this, this, uh, this term has a whole bunch of different meanings that get, that get mixed up and confused. Uh, and the normal prevailing understanding is this one of having a vocation. So the vocation is something that you have or do not have. How that exactly works, no one ever really explains. But at some point, God implanted in everybody's soul a, a particular vocation, or maybe oh, just a vocation to the priest or religious life, to, to some of those people, and everybody else gets married or stays single, depending on how, how you, you understand it. But the idea is you either have this vocation to the priest or religious life, or you don't. And your job is to figure out if you've got one and act accordingly. Okay. And if you do, then there's a, an obligation to embrace the state of life that's been predetermined for you. So, and everyone says, well, that's not under pain of mortal sin. If you, if you, you know, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but if you get it wrong, if you get it wrong, then you're going to be uh, a fish out of water. You're going to live a state that's not yours for the rest of your life and your salvation will become much more difficult. <laughs> and from a theological point of view, there's, there's not really any justification for that. The, the question is, well, what, what is that vocation that you have or do not have? And, and no one seems to be able to define it in that sense. And then if we look at, at Revelation, if we look at Holy Scripture, if we look at the ancient tradition of the church, do we find anything that, that suggests there's some sort of state of life decided for us that we need to just figure out? Um, and really, that's not not the way our Lord speaks, not the way the uh, the fathers of the church address the subject either. Uh, and if this matter is so important, you would think that our Lord would have at least mentioned it. Right. Maybe told us how to proceed. But this prevailing idea that we've got one of these things and have to figure it out and then act accordingly is, is modern. Um, it's a modern idea. They... You know, this way of thinking doesn't show up uh, until the 16th century, uh, really at the earliest. It's it's interesting. I, I had this. The, I had the same uh, advice given to me. You know, all throughout high school, it was told me. You know, you got to figure out. You know, whether or not you have a vocation. And I, I remember sitting there going, "How? How, how do I know?" Um, and and right. again, like you said, I was told, "Well, if you don't if you don't follow your a religious vocation and you have one, it's going to be harder for you to get to heaven." A lot of pressure to put on a 16 year old who is still kind of trying to figure out right. who the heck he or she is. Right. And, and then they say, okay, all right, that's really important. Uh, now, how do I do it? Yeah. And, and no one can tell you how to do it. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, I, if I, if I had a, if I had a dollar for every time I had a, a, a kid sitting across, you know, my desk from me saying, father, I, I, I just want to know for sure. You know, and I was just chuckle like this. There's no knowing for sure. Right. Uh, because there's not a thing to, to find inside of us. So, but practically, right, no one can tell you how to accurately determine. So what do we end up relying on? First is, is the extraordinary sign. Right, so, uh, you know, this is classic 
I'm going to do a Novena de St. Therese and I'm going to ask for roses of a specific color. And if I get those, I'll know what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. Or just, you know, reading into circumstances. You know, while I was praying about this and then the sun came through the, the, the window and shined right on me and I knew God was speaking to me. Uh, you know, the, these kinds of things, which is, it, it's not how our spiritual life is supposed to operate. You know, our, our Lord says, an, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh the sign. Um, we're not supposed to be looking for, for extraordinary signs. And, you know, if there's an extraordinary matter, we can ask for an extraordinary sign. And you have those in, in people who have had to undertake very special missions that they would not be able to choose for themselves. So you think St. Joan of Arc, you know, a teenage girl is not just going to decide one day I'm going to leave the armies of France, put on armor and, and go, go do that. So that's, that is a sort of thing willed by God that requires a special sign. And, you know, she received voices from heaven and so on. Um, and, you know, if she was thinking before that, you know, without receiving those voices from heaven, that maybe she should do this, then in that case, she could ask for a special sign and not receiving it, um, not worry. And it did, she did receive it to proceed. But um, vocations are an ordinary thing. Right? They're a normal part of, of the life of the church. They're a normal part of, uh, of the spiritual life. This, this embracing of a, uh, of a state of, of consecrated life. So we're, we shouldn't be in a position of asking for God to make an extraordinary manifestation of his will for us. Right? This, that's, uh, that's not normal. Uh, the other thing that we end up relying on to determine is, and this is even more common, our feelings. Um, and that's you know, partly a, the, the weakness of uh, a modern man, but it's also just the the uh, you know the bad advice that is accumulated around this question of vocations. So people say things like, "You'll just know," um, or my favorite, "Listen to your heart." I've always listened to my heart. I would, you know I wouldn't have become a priest, right? <laughs> um, and you had you had a, a, an actual you know thing promoted by by priests, spiritual writers, theologians that was that had you know come to dominate in the in the nineteenth century. Um, and still does prevail uh, in a lot of places today, which is the uh, interior attraction theory. So that you, there has to be a an interior attraction to a state of consecrated life, to the priesthood or religious life, or that's the, that state is not for you. And again, that the track that attraction is is very is never really well defined, but it comes down to: Do I feel drawn to this state of life in some way? Uh, and feelings are not a good determination of, of what we should do in, in, uh, in anything in the spiritual life. You know, do I feel like getting up and making my meditation? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, so clearly it's not God's will for me. You know, right. it, so why would, we, why would we operate based on feelings in, a, in, a, um, in a, a question as momentous as what we're going to do with the rest of our life, whether we're going to dedicate our life uh, directly to God? Uh, and this theory is actually was reproved by Rome, the uh, interior attraction theory, um, under St. Pius X. They had been asked to to review an, uh, a book. The French bishops had, had said this book written by a canon, Laiton. Um, you know, this book was bad. It condemned the interior attraction theory. Uh, Rome, could you please examine this? And and what they wanted was a condemnation of Laiton's thesis. And in fact, they ended up praising his book. Um, and they said um, in the document you know, written put together by, by three cardinals signed by Cardinal Mary Duval, 
The requisite on the part of the one to be ordained, which is called a sacerdotal vocation, does not at all consist, at least necessarily and ordinarily, in a, in a certain internal attraction of the subject or inducements of the Holy Ghost to enter the priesthood. So why are we still talking about this more than 100 years later, as if it were a real thing? I don't know. And the same principle applies actually even more so, we might say, to the, to the religious life, in that the religious life is, is, is freer, is more open than the, uh, than the priesthood. Well, that's great. So, so the fundamental flaw. So, so I guess I, I guess for each of these things, we're going to get into much more detail as we as we move forward. This is more kind of an introduction. Yeah. Um, sorry, you were, yeah. you were about to say there are some flaws. Yes, yeah, so the fundamental flaw in these these ideas is that thinking that vocation uh, operates differently than anything else, uh, any other good action, anything else in, that we decide to do for our spiritual and moral life, as if it has special rules. And, and again, it doesn't. So to pursue the religious life or the priesthood, grace is, is obviously necessary because it's a supernaturally good work and we can't accomplish any supernaturally good work without the assistance of grace. But there's no need for an extraordinary grace. Um, you know, if we're trying to decide to do some good thing, let's say go to mass every day, uh, we'd require grace to, to make such a resolution which is supernaturally good. Um, but we don't need complicated soul searching to determine if we're called to take such a step. Mm -hmm. Right. We're, we're, um, you know, we're not told, well, how do I feel about it? Is it, does it feel like it's the right thing for me? You know, or do I need to, to pray a special novena and ask for a certain remarkable sign from God by which I'll know God's will for me is to go to mass every day. Right. Why wouldn't God's will for me be to go to mass every day? And I mean, certainly there could be circumstances in which it would not be, but in itself, it's, it's good. Right? So if the question is, all right, so it's a good thing. Can I do it? Do I have the means and the opportunity to, to do it? Right? Is it within my, my strength? It, I'm going to do it. And then I do it. And this matter of vocation works precisely the same way. And again, there, there is no, no reason for, for thinking that it doesn't. So those are the flaws. That's that's kind of the some of the bad theories, bad advice that's out there. Um, mm -hmm. What is the right approach to take then when you're thinking about whether or not to pursue the consecrated life? First is to, to realize that it is it works the way I've just described for deciding to go to mass, uh, more or less. It, it's a it's a question of prudence. So prudence is the virtue by which we determine. The, the best means in order to to attain a particular end. And of course, the ultimate end for, for all of us is eternal life. It's, it's being pleasing to God and saving our soul. Um, and so all the decisions that we make should be in light of what's best for our eternal salvation and not influenced by other considerations. So this is, you know, when St. Ignatius talks about the choice of, of making, a, uh, making the choice of a way of life, in, in his spiritual exercises, he keeps coming back to that, this idea, think about what is going to be more for the, the, uh, the praise and service of God, our Lord, and the salvation of my soul, as you try to make this decision. And, and it really is that everything else should be at, at, at least secondary. So if some course of action is clearly better for my soul, I choose that. It can happen that two things are, are equally good. Uh, and then, the other factors can come into play. But if it's 
if it's a question of one thing clearly being better, then we should be choosing the thing that, that's better for our soul because, again, that's the whole purpose of our existence. Uh, and the consecrated life is, is superior to lay and secular life for advancing the glory of God and the salvation of souls is uh, A, obvious, and B, uh, a matter of faith. So it has, it has been defined. Um, we're not permitted to, to deny it. So the question then should be for the, the person who's thinking about this, is this a real possibility for me? We'll, we'll talk about, you know, the impediments and so on in, uh, in later podcasts. They're different for the priesthood and religious life. Uh, but, you know, there are plenty of cases in which um, it's not possible. Right. You know, say, example, mental illness, deficient education, um, you know, health concerns, etc. It, it may not be possible in, in any number of, uh, of certain circumstances. But that's not the case for most people. And uh, we can say that all that's needed, all that's required is not an interior attraction, is not extraordinary signs, is not a bunch of nice feelings about the priesthood or religious life, but the simple judgment, right, that there is a well-founded hope that I can can live the priesthood or the religious life in the in the circumstances in which I'm choosing it, for the glory of God, for the salvation of my soul. And having made that judgment, I can then simply choose to do it and and pursue it. Okay, and then you know, there are factors on the, on the side of the, you know, the, the congregation that one chooses to join. They may decide that you're unsuitable, but to make that, that choice to pursue it is, is open to, to most people. The, uh, so that's prudence. There's also the matter of, of generosity. As we said, the priests and religious life are the best things that we can do with our life, objectively speaking. They also require the sacrifice of some of the things that are, that are dearest to human nature, you know, marriage and family, and then the free disposal of, uh, of our goods, owning stuff, being able to, to receive, to have money, to have things, to, to dispose of it as we, as we wish, um, and then the free disposal of ourselves, to go where we want, when we want, uh, and so on. Right? The three vows uh, and the uh, analogous situations in, in, in the priesthood prevent us from, uh, from having those things. Right. We have to make the sacrifice of marriage and family. We have to make the sacrifice of our of our own will in a lot of matters. We have to make the sacrifice of material goods in order to to pursue consecrated life. So it requires a great deal of generosity in order to embrace them in the first place. It requires still more to, to live them as perfectly as possible to attain the sanctity that God wills for one to attain in that state. But there is no there's no predetermined state for for anyone. It's it's a matter of of your free gift. God doesn't require anyone to get married. Right? You might torture up some circumstance in which he does, sure. but in general, he doesn't. Keeping a kingdom uh, together, no one is that doesn't happen anymore. Right. Maybe that's right. one. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Or certain cases in the, in the, you know, in the old Testament where he did, right. You know, Adam, you know, marriage was a requirement for Adam <laughs> or this thing wouldn't have gotten off the ground. <laughs> but, uh, and likewise, no one's required to enter religion or to enter the priesthood. Uh, and again, you can come up with certain circumstances where, you know, St. Paul, for example, or certain founders of religious orders where they receive this explicit command from God. But those are extraordinary circumstances. They're, they're the exceptions that to a certain extent prove the rule. So the rule is that you're not required to. This, this freedom means that we have to be generous in order to embrace 
the, uh, the higher life. And that to be willing to make those sacrifices in order to do the thing that we know, know is better. And you have, you know, there's this thing that, that any number of people have said to me, uh, in thinking about this question of, of vocation is, um, I just feel like I could be more generous if I got married, right? Which is total malarkey, uh, really. It's like saying I could be more generous if I went to mass twice a week instead of every day, right? It, sure. Of itself, it's, it's, it's less generous, right? Um, of course, one is free to choose the lesser good. Marriage is a good. One can choose a good, even if mm-hmm. it's not the highest good. Um, but it's not more generous. You can't say, I, I feel like I could be more generous by being less generous. It doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, and what that, that sentence ends up being a real, you know, I could be more generous, uh, if I got married, what it really, what it says to me is that the, this person is saying, I really want to get married and I'm trying to, to quiet my conscience with this, um, theologically absurd justification that I'm hoping you'll buy. So you won't tell me that I should really enjoy religious life. Uh, Right. And we also, in regard to genera- in, in regard to generosity, you know, there's a desperate need for these consecrated souls in our days. You know, we we uh, we don't have enough priests in in the Society of Saint Pius the Tenth to to reach the 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 people who are asking for us to to help them. You know, we receive requests all the time to start new missions, new priories, and what holds us up principally is manpower. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's, that's true universally in the church, uh, as well, and that, you know, and, um, the need for, for, for sisters and brothers, um, to, you know, for the, the, the running of schools, the, the, um, the maintaining of the apostolate, the, the prayers and sacrifices by religious for the, uh, for the good of souls in the world, all these things are are more necessary now than ever because we, the situation in the world is, is so bleak The situation in the church is so bad. And we have, you know, fewer of these souls praying and sacrificing and, and working the apostolate uh, than we've ever had. Sure. So we need those people who are willing to, to put aside their, their natural inclinations, uh, which are not bad to marriage, to doing your own thing to a certain extent, to, to having material possessions to put aside those natural inclinations and to follow our Lord more closely for, for his glory and for the salvation of souls. Um, and again, we'll, we'll talk more about this and, I, and I'd love to, you know, maybe in a future episode, father talk more about this spirit of generosity and maybe from the perspective of how parents can instill that in, in their children, uh, mm-hmm. even more, because again, that's, that's where it's going to start. You know, the, the perfect or the more perfect state of life depends on, the less perfect state of life to, you know, to funnel it through, like uh, mm-hmm. Pope St. Pius X's mother said, you know, without this ring, you wouldn't have your ring. That was Pius X, right? Right. Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'd, I'd like to d- dive into that a little bit too down the line. Um, but, you know, this is really eye-opening for me and, and hopefully for some others as well, that this is not this really complicated thing that people have to figure out at age 16, 17, 18. Otherwise, you know, you might have a harder time in life. Right. And it, the, the whole thing is it's, it's designed for, for, uh, helping us to attain our, our last end. Uh, that's what it's for. We are free to choose it. And in fact, free to not choose it. And there, you know, there are some people who have said, well, if you don't, if it's not a requirement, if you don't have to do it, then, then no one's going to choose it. 
And I, I, in my personal experience, the opposite is true Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, to, to try to make it as a, you know, almost a matter of, of guilt, like you're somehow failing God because he's designed you for this. Um, and you are, you're not doing it. I think that that tends to, you know, to more narrow and, and constrict the, uh, the soul, whereas to present it as here's an opportunity for you to be generous. You don't have to take this opportunity, mm-hmm. but you can give yourself more completely to God. And that's, uh, it's something worth doing, something that's going to be very pleasing to him and very beneficial for your soul and for the souls of others. Uh, and, and presenting it like that, the, the response that, that I've had from, from the, these, uh, you know, young people thinking about this, uh, has been tremendously positive. And we are, as you mentioned, you know, opening a lot of doors in uh, in this introduction that we we're we're not closing. Right. There are, you know, ha- having the whole series, we'll we'll be able to speak about these things in uh, in much more detail. Um, and uh, you know, so I, I'm I'm looking forward to having that that opportunity to to uh, to really go more deeply into a, a lot of these questions to help clear up some of the misunderstandings and to, you know, to foster, uh, as much as we can, a, a greater generosity in, in, um, in pursuing the, these ways of life. Right. Absolutely. Well, father, thank you for taking the time to do this introduction. Um, I'm not sure what our schedule is going to be quite yet. We're just kind of kicking this off. It might be a weekly, it might be a biweekly thing. Uh, we may also start another series kind of while we're doing this one as well. Um, but, um, you know, you and I were talking and, and a couple of the other priests, and, you know, this is an important series to get out there. This is a very important topic to get out there. Like you said, because of the misconceptions, but also because we need more we need more people who are, are willing to be generous. Right. Yes, absolutely. All right. Father, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time. My pleasure, Andrew. All right. God bless you. you too. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the SSPX Podcast. You can find all our previous series and episodes on SSPXPodcast.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to and rate this podcast on whatever podcast app you use and on YouTube. This helps more people to discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. And if you're able, we'd greatly appreciate your support of a one-time or a monthly recurring donation for these projects. All that information is at SSPXPodcast.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and God bless you.